0: Here's your host, Sakar Cowley.
1: Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of uh, young entrepreneur, Chris Salerno uh, from QC Capital. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to add value to all your listeners and uh, super excited to reconnect with you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, Chris is based in uh, Charlotte and... Uh, as young as he is, he is a, uh, you know, bunch of energy and high aims. And that's what I love about uh, young entrepreneurs. Thank you. And uh, today uh, they are on a brink of starting a $350 million uh, fund. Currently, they own $40 million worth of assets uh, in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, uh, you said Texas as well? Uh, Charlotte. Yep. Charlotte. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he is on to a lot of big things and good partnerships so today we are going to you know dig into his story Uh, so for listeners uh, Chris give us some background as to you know how you got started and uh, sort of why real estate is a passion of yours
2: Yeah. Well, thank you again for having me. Super excited. I love what you do. And when I first got started uh, in the multifamily business, I listened to podcasts just like yours uh, to gain knowledge and to understand from, you know, firsthand people who are operators, passive investors, you know, what they're doing, what they're seeing, what questions to ask. So thank you for what you're doing uh, by providing just tremendous value to uh, all your listeners and your audience. So I definitely thank you for that. Yeah. So um, originally I'm from South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Um, I uh, Love sure. it down there in South Florida. Um, I've always had a passion for real estate. I remember as a little kid, I'd sneak under a gate uh, to a very luxury community and ride my bike through the community. And just I would see the design of each home. And it was always different. And I'd love Absolutely, yep, um, absolutely. You, You're rarely going to see the same house over and over. Rarely now, when you get into these new cookie cutter neighborhoods, yeah, they all look uh, somewhat similar, but the outside could be different, and inside could have the same layout. But it's they're gonna the, the people who live there are gonna design it differently. So sure. I just had a passion for it. My father's been a real estate broker for about 54 years uh, in the state of Florida. Wow. So at mm-hmm. a very young age, he'd take me to work with him, and I would just sit there and listen. I'd listen to older gentlemen talk business. He's 80, 80 now. So uh, I, was all, I was always around older gentlemen, 60, 70, 80 years old. So I'd just listen, hear them talk real estate. And mm-hmm. I was always intrigued. So coming up, moved up to Charlotte, North Carolina, been here over 13 years. Um, I went to uh, Winthrop University for a year and a half, uh, ran division one track there. Um, getting out of uh, college, I realized one college is the best business there is because that's the only loan you cannot file for bankruptcy. <laughs> so I realized that very quickly. So I left um, and I got in, I worked two jobs at the time, um, but I, I was always thinking about real estate uh, once I got out. So I said, I'm going to pursue brokerage. I'm going to sell residency residential real estate the reason why is because i knew my work ethic and mm-hmm. when you're in a, any type of position that's 100% commission i i would never want a salaried position in my life i don't want to be in. i don't want to be paid hourly ever in my life mm-hmm. i want to be paid 100% commission sure the reason why is because i know i will outwork my competition mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. matter what it is i will figure it out very quickly and i will outwork my competition and that's brokeraging real estate mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to get my license. So I was working two jobs at the time, got my real estate license. I had, I think, like four to $5,000 saved up. Um, and I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s. Um, and I said, I'm, quit- I'm putting my two weeks notice in at the both jobs, put my two weeks notice in. And I then saw my bank account, and I knew what I needed to do, and I said, I'm going to make it work. That's Went out awesome. there, I made phone calls. I-, I did over 72 open houses my first year. And then from there, I started scaling the business. So very quickly, started selling a lot of houses. Um, Over the time of me selling, I've sold uh, over 150 homes just within three years, a little over $40 in volume. Uh, My last year, I think I sold like 75 homes just my last year of brokeraging real estate. Um, I ended up from there uh, creating a small team, but merging that team with the number one team in the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was their top agent. I trained all their sales uh, agents that came on board uh, after I came on board. And I started training uh, and doing small seminars in sales uh, here in Charlotte and training other agents in the United States. And very quickly, I went back to an old game, which we all played called Monopoly. And I realized you don't broker real estate in Monopoly. No, the, the game to win Monopoly is to build wealth by acquiring all the assets and getting paid rent passively. Sure. So I said, I'm in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. I started studying between 2008 and 2012 what asset class was the strongest and what recovered the quickest. Sure. It was mm-hmm. multifamily. I said, this is the asset class I'm going to be an expert in. I then started listening to podcasts like yours, like mine, hanging out on YouTube, understanding what the lingo is, what, you know, what's this verbiage? What's IRR? What's cash on cash? How do you calculate it? Sure.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. What's a cap rate? How do you calculate a cap rate? Studying all that, I came across uh, my current coach, uh, his podcast, Never Knew He Coached. I asked, uh, I actually ran in uh, to someone at a, um, funny stories, I ran into someone at a meetup. I dressed in a three-piece suit because I'm thinking I'm walking into like a Blackstone's executive meeting. Sure. We're going to talk real estate. And I walk in and everyone's in flip-flops and a t-shirt. And I said, <laughs> am I in the right place? I'm here for the multifamily meetup. They're like, no, you're right. You're in the right place. I said, okay. <laughs> and I always recommend a good nugget to take uh, for your listeners is that if you go to a conference or go to a meetup, you can take your spouse to a conference, but let her uh, or let your spouse hang out in the hotel, You know, um, bring your kids, let them go to the pool, but go to the conference by yourself. The reason why is because you 'll be willing to talk to people sure. then if you had had a friend or had your spouse with you you 'll just talk to them all, all the time so you 're really not going to make as many connections as if sure. you would just go by yourself
1: sure sure sure
2: so that 's what I do now, um, but I went there by myself, found out he coached uh, found i uh, some uh, got a call with him, I then joined his program and started scaling the business very quickly. Um, A syndication style to a little over uh, 40 million and 364 units, and then now I am um, now we are in the process of creating a large fund. So that's a little background story myself.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And and I always love, Chris, that uh, folks who uh, basically had, uh, you know, a few things like, for example, uh, I mean, you check a lot of great boxes wherein uh, you had a strong real estate family background, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing like, you know, your dad supporting you or you, as you're growing up, you're uh, listening to all the different stories that come along with, uh, with this business, right? And then I think, Uh, the fact you mentioned about uh, you also uh, did sales and boy and that's real estate sales that is is such a big dynamo right there is that you learn the market you learn how transactions are done what issues can occur setting expectations and things like that there's just so much that goes on in the sales that I love and and also just just the whole brokerage concept is that what it takes to you know close the deals what's important for buyers and what are you know some of the uh, nuances of uh, you know closing that deal. I, I love oh, yeah. that. Uh, so moving on, uh, Chris, um, why do you focus uh, or like so much so about the multifamily? Like, why not continue uh, perhaps what you were doing and maybe go into flipping houses, perhaps or holding some rentals for that matter? I mean, why multifamily, if I may ask?
2: I love that. So I did flip houses, uh, flipped about three houses. Um, and I do have one single family rental. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I have a big heart. The only reason why I'm keeping that rental is because the tenant really wants me to be their landlord mm-hmm. and that, uh, it's cash flowing like six, $700 a month. Sure. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm not going to pass that up, you sure, know? Sure. Um, so, and the maintenance is very low on it. Uh, knock on wood. Um, but, uh, so, during my transition of leaving brokeraging, uh, and I do not brokerage real estate anymore, I mm-hmm. let my license go. But during that transition, I did some flips and I did, uh, I have that one rental. And I realized that one flips, it's a lot of work. I had a sure. contractor steal $90,000 from me. Wow. Uh, and I'm not going to get it back. And the thing is, is, it's not like I picked him off of a website, he's done work for me previously. Wow. And this was our third or fourth deal or flip that we've done together. And for some reason, he just had a change of mind and decided to take my money and run. Wow. Um, so I learned a lesson very quickly uh, and I learned very quickly from mistakes. So when it came to that, um, I just, I realized, you know, so much time. It took one, two, assets, two properties took one year to renovate. I mean, outrageous. Wow. Um, And even if you had a good flip and you have a good team, which I know flippers. I know flippers that do over 100 flips a year. They Mm -hmm. love it. They they have a system. They have their business. They have the people in place. That's good for them. Mm -hmm. You're only going to profit a certain amount. Sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you may make a million, 1.5 million. Totally different. When you get into the multifamily space, you're going to make a lot more money. And not only that, when it comes to COVID-19, for example, Mm-hmm. When it, can't, it comes to flipping or when it comes to a single family residence, for example, flipping, you may, you may be, you know, COVID-19 took about six months total. It will, you know, the fl- it may take even longer to complete that flip and to sell that flip. So when it comes to that, it's very important uh, to keep that in mind. Uh, when it comes to a single family rental, I've learned very quickly, if you're renting from me and you decide not to pay the rent, what happens? I have to pay it. Sure. If something mm-hmm. goes wrong, I have to pay it. So my margins of profit go very, very low very quickly. Sure, sure. And depending mm-hmm. on what state you're in, in the state of South Carolina, you're taxed at 6% compared to 4%. Mm-hmm. If you lived in the property, you'd be taxed at 4%. That extra 2% makes a big difference on your profit. Sure. But when it comes to, when I started studying multifamily, I realized one roof, 50 people under it. If five people don't pay, who makes the payment? the 45 other people. Sure. If a hot water heater goes out in one unit, who, make, who, makes the, who pays for it? The 50 people in there. So I realized that very quickly. And I said, the economies of scale just make sense when it comes to multifamily. This sure. is the asset class. Sure. Plus, one thing I want to touch on is that retail. Retail was already in a recession before COVID. What sure. put retail in a recession? Amazon, e-commerce. Absolutely. You will not create an Amazon to take out multifamily. You just can't. Why? It's Absolutely. a necessity. We True. need shelter. And for me, I mean, I I would prefer to live in an apartment complex. Uh, my fiance doesn't. So, you know, you always got to b- have a balance, but there's an apartment complex uh, adjacent to our, our neighborhood and it has a golf simulator inside. It has a putt-putt range inside. It has a masseuse table inside where they have a masseuse come Monday through Friday that you can book. Interesting. (laughs) I mean, who would not want that?
1: Absolutely. And uh, so,
2: <laughs> I mean, I would love to have that. Sure, yes. Sure, sure. Um, so when it comes to that, that really sets it apart, you know, and having the amenities, the gym, the Starbucks coffee. Okay. You don't have to pay $10 for coffee anymore. You sure. can go ahead and just go down to your lobby, take Starbucks and go on the road. So sure. it's that right there that, you know, you're not going, it's going to be very hard to create an Amazon. Well, you can't create an Amazon because it's a necessity. Uh, sure. But as owners and operators, we're always thinking of different ways ways to better the amenities uh, and and have – attract more people to the apartment
1: complex absolutely very, very well said very well said and and i'll share with you also uh, chris is that one of some of my experiences also is like i own a significant amount of single family portfolio as well mm-hmm. i mean knock on wood uh, we did great renovations very low maintenance and stuff but one of the hardest things sometimes i find also is that uh, single family world because you know you're always operating on, or, or you know selling off of the comparable markets you can have the greatest house in the neighborhood but it's so tough to sell on just on cma's as we call oh, it oh my goodness Whereas in multi family boy i mean you are rewarded for increasing your noi so so nicely you know just even
2: and, $50 times 200 units sure I sure i mean that's a couple Big million time. in your pocket
1: absolutely absolutely and and that's that is such a huge difference in my eyes that uh, i mean when i saw all this i was like oh my god this is the <laughs> this is the game i need to be in as well because I was like so much, uh, uh, you know, into uh, single family and knowing all of these things. I know. But coming from a different perspective, I was like, "Oh, you know what? It makes complete sense." And and that that also definitely excited me. Other than some of the things that definitely you said, you know.
2: And when uh, and when I did that math too, I had to do it a couple times. I had to I had to ask sure. people, "Are you sure? Like, <laughs> you actually make that?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then on top of that, the tax benefits. Sure. I'm like. Uh, why, I mean, why would people not, not want to be in this asset
1: class? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, uh, Chris, talking about markets and sub markets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your philosophy about uh, evaluating the sub markets and sort of uh, targeting to purchase uh, the multifamily assets? What, 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 uh, how do you think about that?
2: Yeah. Um, well, to speak for our group, we focus on very large uh, cities. So Raleigh, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, Charleston, Greenville, South Carolina, and we will look into Wilmington. Those are the really major four cities. Oh, also the Durham area. Those are really the major uh, five cities in in the Carolinas. And when we evaluate assets, we evaluate location, we evaluate uh, how, how, ac- how accessible it is to the main road, to the highway, to jobs. One thing we really look for um, and my underwriters get back to me, uh, once they underwrite it, we have an analyst that does a full comp study. They, he will call each asset. If it's not local, he'll call each asset, uh, do a full background on what they're offering, uh, all their amenities, if they're upgraded units, if they're not, he'll do a crime statistics report for us. Uh, and then he'll give those comps to our underwriter, which our underwriter will underwrite. But the main thing that I love is that we will look for a Starbucks and a Chick-fil-A. Interesting. And mm-hmm. if you look, Starbucks and Chick-fil-A are normally very similar to each other in a vicinity. Sure. The mm-hmm. reason why is because they do a large study on demographics mm-hmm. because who's going to pay 5 to $10 for a cup of coffee? Sure. You know, um, so they're only going to put that Starbucks in a certain location that people are willing to pay five to ten dollars for a cup of coffee. Sure. So if in a, if an apartment complex is very close to those two large chain, we will, you know, we that's a perk. Now, if it's not, it's not a deal breaker for us. But that's just the icing on on the cake when when we see that this apartment complex is very close to one of those large uh, type of uh, franchises.
1: I see I see. And what about some of the other factors like let's say the neighborhood density or you know how big the sort of the roads are. Yeah. Or you know how good the neighborhoods are and things like that. Do you kind of maybe these are some of those subjective things I like to say. No. Do you consider some of those factors as well?
2: We take that in full consideration when our invest or when our analyst uh, starts analyzing an asset or going ahead and uh, you know starts to do their underwriting on an asset. He will call the city. Uh, he will ask the city you know what plans are going on in that area, what permits have been pulled, uh, what type of the, what type of those what type of permits have been pulled you know are we are are we knowing that the the, the roads are going to be wider um or, or are there going to be office buildings or are there mm-hmm. going to be shopping centers uh, okay with those shopping centers have there been any business permits for um grocery stores or gyms because all that plays into a factor so we we dig deep really deep into it i know here in charlotte they're now putting in the south charlotte area um tolls I know North Charlotte, they put tolls up there. Uh, So we like to play that into a factor. Okay, well, if the city thinks there's tolls in the area, obviously that's a great area to be in because people are willing to pay for a toll, which I am, because you save a lot of time uh, just for a couple cents of driving on the road. Um, in that area, so we play all that into a factor uh, when analyzing one particular asset to ensure that we even want to move forward with a, a showing of the asset uh, if it doesn 't meet that or those criterias and we do have more criterias if it doesn 't meet our criteria we won 't even schedule a viewing uh, or a showing of the asset
1: sure 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 now uh, speaking of uh, the submarket uh, there Chris right Um, How do you go about like just understanding the business landscape as to, you know, like what companies are moving or what the growth projections are and things like that? Do you uh, mostly like solely rely on some of the reports that we typically see or some of the news data that you've come along? Can you maybe share some uh, tidbits about that as to like, you know, what goes into uh, researching deep into a submarket, for example?
2: Yeah, I love that question. And, um, you know, I don't solely rely on the reports. The reports are great, you know, but the reports can also be like the news. Whatever they want to tell you, they're going to tell you. Sure. So, um, you know, and when it comes to the brokerage companies, they're not going to, they're not, I have not seen any of these reports when it comes to Newmark, Marcus, Cushman, anything bad about a city. They only post <laughs> everything good about the city. Sure, sure. So, because they want to sell you on the city. So, when it comes to it, we don't solely rely on it. We do like to see it, we do like to know what's going on. Um, I, I study the stock market too. Mm-hmm. I don't invest in the stock market, but I study it so I know what's going on because it can sure. affect us mm-hmm. as operators. Um, so, when it comes to analyzing a market, one thing I like to do, and I had a background in brokerage. Mm -hmm. residential brokerage. i like to, um, the good thing is, is I built great relationships in the Carolinas with brokers and in Texas with residential brokers in the major cities, but I like to reach out to them. Where are you seeing people move? Mm -hmm. Where are you seeing people deciding to rent? Where are you seeing new construction happening for, for homes? Mm Uh, where are you seeing, uh, the, the, the fluctuation of the population moving? what area would you sell a house compared to another area that you would not sell a house Hmm. because they're, they're kind of like the, they're kind of like the army. Um, I'm uh, don't correct me on this, but, um, when it comes to the army, I believe the army is the first one that's uh, boots on the ground when they send the troops out into a war. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what a real estate agent is. They listen firsthand from people. Oh, you're leaving this, this area to move to this area. Why? Okay. Is it jobs? Is it, you know, is you just don't like that area, you know? So it's good to go down and to ask them, what are you seeing? Ask the top agent. Don't ask a, a guy or a girl who's selling one house a year. You got to ask someone who's selling over 100 homes a year. Where sure. are you seeing people move to? Why are they moving? Um, I have an apartment complex in this area. What do you think about this area? Hmm. Um, and that will help you tremendously.
1: Great, great, great tip there. Uh, now, Chris, uh, speaking about, uh, you know, just the asset class in general, whether uh, how, how do you acquire, like, are you focused on uh, class C assets, class B assets? Uh, uh, can you maybe share some uh, tips about why you like a certain asset class uh, uh, to focus on?
2: I, yeah, definitely. I always uh, believe, um, you know, gaining experience and gaining knowledge is key. Um, so I've purchased a C plus asset previ- mm-hmm. uh, prior and know that we, um, we as a company do not want to focus on C assets mm-hmm. because of the age. Because uh, with the age comes a lot of maintenance, a lot of upkeep. So our main focus is B. Uh, primarily B value add and Mm. A core plus asset. No Mm. matter what asset we like to uh, uh, look at or acquire, we want to find some sort of value add component. If it's just making, you know, the amenities, updating the amenities, if it's owning the Wi-Fi and adding Wi-Fi in each unit, you know, some sort of value add play, we definitely want to do. So that that definitely plays into a factor.
1: Sure, sure. Now, speaking of uh, C-class assets, uh, Chris, you know, a lot of times, sometimes the guests have shared with uh, me that um, it is sometimes easier to do, you know, sort of amenity upgrades and Hmm. things like that on C-class assets, wherein... You can do your value at play and you can, uh, you know, bump the rents uh, a lot easily. Uh, What is your take on that? Is it easier to do on a C-class asset versus a a B-asset? I mean, what what sort of things we can uh, look into it for that?
2: I assume with them increasing the rents at uh, such a large number that that C-class assets has to be in a B or an A-class area. Sure. Mm-hmm. If you have a C-class asset in a C area, you're not going to be able to get much rent bumps. Sure. So mm-hmm. um, when it comes to it, if we analyze a deal, and we the deal by age is a C type of deal, but we know or it is in a B or an A area um, or we know that that area is transitioning because we have a lot of market knowledge in all of the select cities that we have, um, we will take a look at it. Uh, But, you know, when it comes to it, you really got to watch out when it comes to the piping, when it comes, uh, you know, to the wiring in the building, you know, you may have to pay higher insurance. Sure. Um, you know you're going to have to uh, uh, budget in your capex per unit to fix all those issues. Um, so that definitely plays into a factor. Um, but we will look at it. But we more than likely will pass. We st- we stay strict to our, tri- our criteria. Um, and you have to. Uh, it's it's hard. You can't really be all over the place. So you have to really stay strict to your criteria. And it's good too because. Uh, when you tell brokers, Hey, you know, when I, when I first got in the business, brokers send everything and you want everything at first, but then when you start st- staying strict to your criteria, I email the brokers back. Sorry, we're staying strict to our criteria. This is our criteria. We will not mm. move from it. Um, sure. and then they start to see some level of respect for you. They see that you're serious. They see that they can take you seriously and you can close, you know, you have a good chance of closing the deal. Uh, so they feel more comfortable working with you.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And that's a great point about, uh, you know, like the age of the building and some of Mm -hmm. the mechanicals that come with that, right? And the higher insurance that you can play and how that will sort of uh, factor it into your underwriting that you have to budget for all those repairs and perhaps some replacements and so on. So sometimes, you know, what you see on the surface may really not be that and you could have an expensive lesson where, you know, you're repairing a lot of things and not just seeing any upside at all, you know, so.
2: No, yeah.
1: Good, good. Now, uh, Chris, uh, how did your first deal came about? Like uh, how much of time, how much of research you needed? Uh, Can you maybe share some details around that?
2: Yeah, great question. So I'm all about broker relations as I used to be a broker, all about building relationships with a broker. They are key to the business. Yeah, you'll be able to negotiate maybe one deal or a handful of deals directly to the seller, but a broker will always be there because they're the middleman. You know, they're basically the therapist, I say, uh, when it comes to <laughs> it. So um, there was an asset that came about. It was a 91-unit um, asset, uh, and when that came about, uh, I – Contacted the broker, we underwrote it. Contacted the broker, uh, or at that time, I didn't have a team, so I underwrote it myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Contacted the broker, we were selecting a tour. And after walking the premises, I asked him, I said, there's an adjacent property. Is that available? Is that the whole thing? He says, no, it's a separate owner. I said, hmm, well, that's 135 units. I could just. Uh, I could just go ahead and knock down that fence and create a pat or a driveway, and now I can combine them. They can use their amenities here. I said, "Can you find out if the owner wants to sell?" He says, "I'll get back to you." couple days later, he got back to me. And says, they'll want to sell. I said, wonderful. I want it all. Mm-hmm. So I, I submitted an LOI on the whole portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the seller of the 91 units actually lives here in Gastonia, which is a sub market to Charlotte, a mm-hmm. uh, large seller. They have over 7,000 units. Um, I know now I know them very, very well. We're great friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hang out together. We have coffee together. Um, and uh, because I was newer in the business at that time, they uh, they. Awarded the deal to best and final to another group, but the other group did pay a lot more. So that wasn't just the factor because I had a great sponsorship team behind me. Um, the other group was willing to pay a lot more, which I was not. Mm -hmm. Um, so about a couple days later, I called the broker back and I said, uh, by chance, did that, that buyer, uh, get the, the adjacent property? He said, no. I said, well, do they still want to sell? And he said, yeah the The buyer didn't know anything about the adjacent property, so I said, "Okay, well, let's 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 talk about it." So mm-hmm. we toured the asset. Uh, we, it's a, it is it was a smaller asset, um, and all the units were the exact same two bedroom, two bathroom, which I liked a lot. Uh, we ended up submitting an LOI on it. Uh, throughout the process, it was a little rocky, had a grease fire. Uh, we were able to get all brand new roofs on the asset. Um, and then we were able to close the asset. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, I connected with the seller of the 91 unit mm-hmm. His name's John Azar, and uh, we connected, we laughed, uh, we had a good time. So I always bust his chops now when, uh, when we talk uh, in person. I'm like, you should have accepted my LOI, but, uh, but uh, he got more money, so it's good for him, and uh, we're best friends now. So uh, I know John
1: as well, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's a
2: great guy. We, great guy. we always Absolutely. grab coffee, and we hang out a lot. We have lunch, and I like him.
1: Awesome, awesome. So uh, have you done any value add improvements uh, uh, at your, uh, uh, you know, I mean, how are the operations going right now?
2: Yeah. So great question. Uh, yeah, we've done value add improvements, uh, for that particular asset. Um, it's going phenomenal. Uh, you know, paused everything cause of COVID a little bit. Um, uh, but we're back at it when it comes to it. Uh, you have to switch. We, we actually ended up switching property management companies. So we, uh, did that transition of, uh, we're in the, uh, did a transition of switching property management companies, uh, to a uh, more of a, uh, hands-on aggressive type of property property management uh, company, which we like a lot. So uh, Mm. yeah, it's going great.
1: Awesome. Uh, What were some of the challenges, uh, Chris? Because a lot of times, you know, uh, like uh, typically uh, uh, no response or lack of reporting. And there's some issues that play into when you change the property management. And I always like to dig into some of the issues because a lot of times investors do not realize that what some of the proactive actions they have to take that, I mean, you know, as we all know that things can quickly spiral out of control. And Mm. next thing you know is, boy, I mean, you have from three units vacant, you suddenly have seven units vacant and, you know, they are not renovating or not advertising correctly and things like that. Can you share what some of the problems you have had with your property management?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, one of the big problems that I see across the board, too, not just with our situation, but across the board is that you got to watch, you know, um, on smaller properties when you don't have an on-site maintenance and you're going to third party, you know, all the maintenance requests or anything like that is that, um, you know, you don't want the property management company to own that company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because they're going to upcharge you. They're going to upcharge you on every little thing you do. Sure. For example, uh, there was a, a situation, uh, that, uh, that, uh, for example, a situation that came across where, uh, there was a fence that needed to be addressed and, uh, the company wanted to replace the whole fence. It was mm-hmm. like a couple grand. Well, when I went out for a further inspection, there were four screws that needed to be in there. So I did it myself. I got a drill a couple screws and drilled the screws in. Now the the fence is fixed. So, you know, things like that. That also tells you you want someone who's local. You want someone and you want an operator that uh, can can be in driving distance and uh, that is boots on the ground because of situations like that, you know, sure. where mm-hmm. you go out there and you can say, okay, it just needs four screws. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't need a couple grand fence. I just need four screws. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, that really, you know, that's something I definitely say keep an eye on uh, when it comes to uh, interviewing property management companies. Who do they Hmm. use for maintenance? Who are their preferred vendors? Uh, You know, do they have a cut in any of that profit? Um, because that's very important. And like you said, during the transition, you want to make sure that transition as smooth as possible. You know, you're leaving a company and that company uh, is losing business, is losing money. Um, sure. So, you know, they may be unhappy, and, but you, you just have to make sure communication is key. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, in my eyes, a property management company would not want to ruin a, a, a transition because their reputation's on the line. Sure. You know, yeah. if, if something bad happens, you, you know, if someone asked me about a, about a property management company that I had a bad experience with, I'm going to let them know because I don't want them to lose money. I don't want them to, you know, uh, harm the deal, harm the investors. I want that that operator and those investors to make money. So, you know, I'm going to say, look, this is the experience I had. Right, right. You know, and then whether you take it or not, it's all solely up to that individual. But um, it's very important to make sure communication is key on that transition, because like you said, they could just let it go, and you can start to get vacancies, and uh, you know, you may have to come out of pocket for uh, some of the rent
1: true true i mean it's such a hard business and i think uh, knowing asset managers uh, sometimes the hat we play it's it's very important to just you know always keep a tab on what's exactly oh, what's happening yeah. at the asset you know uh, now moving on chris that uh, your company is soon to launch uh, a $350 million, uh, you know, a real estate fund. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you share some details as to, uh, you know, why a fund and sort of what it goes and what sort of assets you're targeting with uh, with your fund right now?
2: Yeah. Um, I, so before this, I had a call with uh, an investor and, uh, you know, and she she asked me the same thing and I started digging into it and she's like, wow. That's different. <laughs> I said, it's, I've read f- five to six books that were four to 600 pages. I've uh, listened to interviews. I've uh, spoke with fund managers, spoke with institutions. I'm like, it's, a, it's totally different. Um, so when it comes to it, it comes down to the goal. Uh, you know, What's your goal as a company? Um, syndication is great. I love it. Um, but uh, you can only scale so much. When it comes to creating a fund, there's a lot of perks about it. Um, a lot of benefits uh, about a fund, and you can scale very quickly. Uh, Black Rock and Blackstone are only 20 to 25 years old. Actually, uh, 30, 30, to 35 years old, excuse me, uh, BlackRock and Blackstone. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to it, um, you know, it's, it's very important to see what are your goals. You know, if you want to scale a large company like that, you have to go the fun route and go to uh, institutions. And that's what we're going. That's where I see the vision with the company and, and moving in that direction uh, mm-hmm. to a very large company um, is to, to go that route. So we have to create a fund. Benefits of a fund. Uh, I lost or the company, excuse me, lost two deals, two funds. Why? Because the funds came in and they said we're paying cash. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm syndicating the property. And the seller's like, well, they're paying cash. So that right there, we lost out. Uh, when, when you can show a proof of funds of 40, 50 million dollars of the whole asset, the seller has a strong, the seller has that, that secured feeling in the sure. in their self with selecting a fund. Mm-hmm. the fund can then pay cash for the asset hold the asset if they if they want with cash if not they can refinance or they can just sell that asset to another asset um and then get their funds out and then keep multiplying it so sure. You know, it's all different. Um, so having that, it's very beneficial when it comes to a fund. Uh, the scalability of a fund, um, extremely high. Uh, and when when connecting with institutional investors, it's very different from the retail investors. And when I mean retail, I mean your accredited investors that are going to invest fifty to a million. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to a fund, uh, it's it's definitely different. You're having investors write ten, twenty, hundred million dollar checks.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, uh, Chris, related question there, right? In a syndication, obviously, as a general partner, uh, you know, you are uh, syndicating large part of the deal, and you're owning a small uh, share as well, right? How does that play into a fund structure? Is it similar, or how how is uh, how some of the splits involved in that?
2: Yeah, I love, that's, love that question. It, it's not similar uh, per, on a per-deal basis. Mm-hmm. It's similar, in fact, that the deal, like a per-deal basis, you would use that just for the fund, though. So how it works is that uh, you'll hear it in the fund world, 2 and 20. Mm-hmm. So the difference is, is when, when you have a fund, you get paid 2% of the man, of, as a management fee mm-hmm. of the fund amount. I see annually for the life of the fund. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you have a hundred million dollar fund, you would get paid 2% of that, which would be $2 million mm-hmm. on an annual basis
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, for the whole life of the fund to manage the fund. I see. Mm-hmm. You would then get paid 20% because it's a two and 20, 20% of the profits. So sure. if you profit a hundred million, you're going to get paid 20% of that. Mm-hmm. And then the rest goes back to the investors. Sure. But you will also have uh, the promote. Uh, for example, you'll see anywhere from 6 to 9% annually uh, preferred return to the investors. Mm-hmm. Anything above, you'll see an 80 uh, 20 split to a certain amount. Then you'll see a 70 30 split to a certain amount. Um, you rarely see a 60 40. You may see it with. Uh, you know, depending on the fund and wh- wh- what the fund's targeting and all that, mm-hmm. uh, but you'll because of the fund manager and the company making so much, mm-hmm. uh, you you normally see anywhere from seventy thirty eighty twenty split, um, when it comes to it. But it's very similar to a syndication, but it's over the fund at the, the fund numbers, level. Yeah, the fund level, uh, and yeah. a per deal basis. Uh, it's just. Is it cash flowing enough? Can we hit the IRR to pay the investors the 8% annually of the whole fund amount?
1: Interesting. Great, great, great tips there. Uh, Now, uh, uh, Chris, you are a great uh, proponent of affirmations and, uh, you know, always uh, you're purposeful about, uh, you know, having notes placed and things like that. And uh, sort of, can you maybe uh, give us a sense of what are your morning routines, how are you setting goals and sort of dividing your time on different activities and stuff?
2: Yes. And we chatted about this before. Time management's everything. Sure. Um, I wake up, my alarm goes off at 5 a.m. Um, now I do hit snooze. I, I, I'm, I'm honest. I do hit snooze. I got a newborn uh, <laughs> and having a newborn, um, you're waking up throughout the middle of the night. Sure. So um, you may, I, I do hit snooze a couple times, but my body naturally, even on the weekends, if I don't set an alarm, um, will, will wake me up before It's just natural. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I have it embedded in my mindset uh, that I will wake up naturally before 6.30, but I like to wake up at five. Um, So when it comes to my morning routine, I meditate in the morning and in the evening. Um, I meditate in the shower. Some people meditate just by themselves. They listen to music. I meditate in the shower because the sound of the water hitting Mm -hmm. the ground for some reason, just soothes me. Uh, It puts me in a different mindset. Uh, And I meditate anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I just think about business. I think about life. think about family. I think about the goals that we're having. I think about the current goals for that day five-year, 10-year. Um, I think about all of it. It just all runs through my mind. Um, and I think about what I'm going to accomplish for that day. I then wake up, um, have a cup of coffee. I love coffee. I drink anywhere from three to five cups a day. Uh, and then from there, I, I like to get some reading in on a book. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just you know a couple pages, I like to do that. And then I'll hop into... Uh, checking emails after that, I start reading articles. I read a lot during the day. I know Warren sure. Buffett reads like four hours a day. Um, but I read a lot during the day with articles when it comes to the book um, and analyzing everything. It's very important to read and to understand and to form an opinion about what's going on. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. even if you don't even if it's not in your career. Like I said earlier, I, I look at the stock market. I check it. I want to know what's going on in the stock market because if stock market's tanking, that that may affect interest rates, which then affects me.
1: Sure. Or not
2: mm-hmm. me, but affects the company. Um, so I, I watch all that very closely. Watch you know, w- what's going on with COVID. Uh, answer emails. I like to get a lot of the important uh, issues done late morning to early afternoon. And then after that, uh, making sure our system's in place, making sure I'm gaining more knowledge on the fund aspect. Reaching out to investors, uh, large institutional investors, connecting with them, building relationships throughout the day, making sure that marketing, when it comes to social media or private Facebook group, making sure all that uh, is getting poured with valuable content to everyone, so they they are soaking up the content. Uh, so yeah, I, I do that, and then uh, when I start to wind down, like I said earlier uh, or before this, is that I have to work minimum twelve hours a day. Uh, that's just uh, it's programmed i get grouchy when i don't sure but uh but uh towards the end of the day i like to go ahead and uh just recap uh what i did that day what uh what i do to be productive instead of busy um the systems that we had in place um and then i go ahead and spend some family time once the kids are knocked out uh, i start to read a book and i go to bed around 12 uh sometimes one o'clock
1: that's awesome. That's awesome. And I think you you said it very right. I think being productive versus just being busy just for the heck of it sometimes can, uh, you know, your day and all the minutiae that comes with it, right? I mean, can pretty much suck you wherever, but, you know, being purposeful and being uh, focusing on productivity is all that matters. So it's been great, uh, uh, Chris. I totally appreciate uh, everything you shared. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. Absolutely. Please share with our listeners how they can find you and learn more about your company.
2: Yeah. You can find me directly on our website, qccapitalgroup.com. Uh, we do have a closed Facebook group called the Mindful Multifamily Network, uh, where you can network alongside myself. That's where I pour great, valuable content in there about what's going on in the real estate industry uh, and just in the industry itself, um, uh, commercial industry itself. So that's where you can find me. That's where you can network
1: with me. Awesome, awesome! I think I have to make a point to be a member of your group now. Actually, yes, uh, so please do. Absolutely, absolutely. So, thank you for coming on. And, yes, thank uh, you for having me. Absolutely, viewers and listeners of the podcast can also, you know, reach us at premiumcashflow.com. Uh, you know, where we have experts like Chris all the time. If you're interested with uh, any of the investment opportunities, uh, kindly register with us. We can jump on a short phone call and understand what your you know, goals are, and we can see if uh, the, if there's any opportunities we can help you with. So, it's been great, Chris. Uh, thank you for coming on, uh, and uh, I am definitely looking forward to uh, you know your future and having you on a uh, another edition of podcast as well. So, thank you for coming yes. On.
2: Likewise, thank you for having me. Sure. Right.
0: Thanks for listening to Premium Cash Flow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.